Welcome to the Mitten Williams Meet the Maker podcasts. My name's Hannah Lee. In this podcast series, we're talking to creatives, innovators, and craftsmen and women about what they make, how they make it, and what part creativity, craftsmanship, and collaboration plays in the process. This podcast was recorded on Zoom during lockdown, so please excuse the sound if it fluctuates from time to time. This week, I'm talking to artist Keith Harrison. Keith didn't intend or expect to be a ceramicist, and in a bizarre set of circumstances was banned from the ceramics room on the first day of his art foundation course. However, whilst doing a BA industrial design course, he found clay and loved the freedom and versatility it gave his project. So he switched courses to ceramics, and the rest is history. After completing an MA in Ceramics and Glass at the Royal College of Art, Keith has been involved in a series of process-based live public experiments that investigate the direct physical transformation of clay from a raw state, utilising industrial and domestic electrical systems. He has used household appliances to enable live firings to take place in living rooms, science labs and cafes. He has also done large-scale works for public galleries and museums like the V&A, which take on a given space to produce site-specific, time-based works. And on top of all this, he also lectures at Bath Spa University and is a visiting lecturer at a number of other art schools in the UK. Keith, I've already introduced you, but in your own words, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and your work? Um, I'm, I'm an artist based in Plymouth at Cast Studios. Um, since about 2002, really, I've been interested in exploring materials firstly clay but that's become more broadly based in recent years and looking to push what that material can do look to change it in different ways often with electricity and I'll heat it and put it under duress in some ways and then they become public events rather than it being a hidden process like a firing um, in a kiln I try to make this transformation a public event to which an audience, whether it be a few people or a lot of people, can come along and, and, and bear witness. And um, that that has kind of been sometimes in public institutions, but other, other times works that are outside of a gallery situation and in the public domain. And really, it's, it's been involving the public in, the, in that process. And perhaps increasingly collaborative in the way I work, working with other people and recognising the, the part that they play, whether it be musicians or other artists. So I think it's become an increasingly collaborative practice as well, um, certainly in the more recent projects. So I guess my next question was, why do you do it? But I'm also intrigued to know more about why clay and why electricity? I came to ceramics in quite a kind of a roundabout way. I was doing product design and then I, I switched because I wanted to do a course maybe that was a bit looser in terms of its definition of functionality and, and maybe commodity. So I had that kind of introduction from maybe a different route. So I didn't maybe approach ceramics in perhaps the same way as someone who'd, who'd look to do ceramics and, uh, and maybe make functional work. So I think already I was, I was kind of pushing out what that might be as an object that you might make in clay and then when I went to the to Royal College and did the postgrad in 2000 I kind of I wanted to bring the electricity in because that was my family background and I I'd left art college had an art school training and I guess I was looking to bridge 
that world and perhaps my own family's world, which is much more from science and uh, dad and brother electricians moved into kind of university sector and we're working in the lab. So there was this science world and there was my kind of art college. And I think at that point of going back to college, I wanted to see if I could bridge it and not compromise, keep the keep the art side and keep the science and, and see almost how, how, how they might collide and, and I could work directly with my family initially, but then using electricity as this power source to change material. And I was in, I've always been intrigued by electricity because I don't understand it. And so... It was like bringing, bringing the science and the art together, bringing electricity and clay together became the kind of basis for the first works. And it was quite literal, putting electricity, seeing if I could put electricity through clay and almost heat it to a point where it could, where it could reach this tipping point where it changed permanently. But it was always more hopeful than practical and that it was almost probably is impossible in some respects, but I, it didn't stop me want to, wanting to do it and just see what might happen by bringing those two elements together. So did you say you collaborated with your family at the beginning on the project? Yeah, initially. Yeah, yeah. When I was at Royal College, I was working at Imperial College in the in the science labs. And, and so I'd, I'd collaborate with the technicians there. And that, that had a reflection to, to my own family. And my dad was working at Aston University in the same capacity. So I guess I knew that world a little bit. And then when I was doing some of the early early works um, at the RCA and, and after, then he'd be and my brother would come down and they would do the wiring. And, and yeah, so we were we were almost like, we weren't a business, but we were like a family partnership um, doing these works. But that brought, you know, the whole idea of working with your family also brings all those dynamics to play as well. So <laughs> I still was working with electricians, but sometimes it was it was a more straightforward transaction. If you, if you work with an electrician, that wasn't actually your dad or your brother. Do you, um, do you understand more about electricity now? I think inevitably I got to know more. I never wanted to know that much because often the conversation would go, oh, I want to do this, and they go, it's impossible. And I said, well, I still want to do it. And um, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't worry about it, but I still wanted to hold on to that sense of exploring it because I was interested yeah. with maybe limited limited knowledge. I guess there was a certain amount of danger and and. and, and I guess I just needed to make sure it was still safe enough so that they could go into a public domain and that, to a certain extent, I'd, I'd, if, I, if I knew more and more about it, maybe I'd be tempted to, to do the wiring myself and, and I think that possibly could have um, really gone. Well, they, they went wrong anyway, but I think I, I, I needed almost someone else to kind of do the kind of wiring up and I think, yeah, I'd have got myself in even more problems if I'd have been the person in charge of all the... Of electrical <laughs> I guess as well the thing is if like you said if you're wanting to explore and do things anyway if you know too much you might put yourself off doing it and that's not the point yeah almost recognize what they're recognizing in that yeah it's just not practical and it was never about the practicalities of it it was almost like almost thinking about it more that it just to pursue it was more important than to actually achieve it. So whether someone was telling me that that was possible or not wasn't the point of the word. The point was to try it and to put that trying out into the, into almost into the public domain and to, and for people to witness that maybe kind of, yeah, kind of maybe slightly pointless and, and ultimately doomed to fail that it, it might not be 
practical or or, or particularly functional. And I, I kind of enjoyed that tension of, and almost that the family would come with me on something that was impossible, but they still did it because they were trying to support me as well. Obviously, you've changed tack and got into ceramics without thinking that's what you were going to get into to begin with because you were going to do industrial design. Yeah, I'd gone to foundation course and I had this incident where I got banned from the ceramics pottery room um, on the first day. So I couldn't use clay. And not that I, was, I wasn't particularly looking to specialise in ceramics at that point, but it just wasn't an option then. So everything I did when I was on foundation, I had to kind of go around the pottery room and... Um, and so, if I, and so I did use clay, but I couldn't fire it. So I was using raw models and using it for maybe more product at that point. So I guess those the kind of seed was was sown really in terms of having to negotiate ceramics without without access to kilns and firing. And um, you know, I think I've made it a neater a neater connection yeah. with the passing of the years than it probably was. But it does it seems connected that. I didn't have that access early on, and so I had to improvise how I worked in clay. So that's how that's how that part started, really. Did you did you ever see yourself when you were younger doing anything like this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't. I think younger, I couldn't have even imagined that this kind of thing was even a possibility. That this, that this might be how your life might, you know, what you might do with in your life. I think I knew I wanted to do art yeah. and. You know, and that was in a way that wasn't based on the best results that I got. I, I did all right, but I, that wasn't the kind of top. But I just knew I wanted to go to art college, and I can't even really explain it beyond just knowing that that's what I wanted to do. But I didn't know what that would lead to. And I guess a foundation when you've got all those options, I was looking, I was trying to be a bit more pragmatic and maybe product design felt like it might lead to something that, that gave employment at the end, whereas a kind of full art the whole art spectrum just you know I had no sense of how you operate I had nothing to base that on in terms of I didn't know any artists and we didn't have any art really around us um so it all came through schools and and maybe going to to galleries through through the schools that made you think yeah you could you could go to art college but yeah yeah I never imagined we did go on a tour of the of like a pottery and I remember that being amazing trip round and um that stayed with me and i think i said i wanted to work in a in a kind of ceramics factory at that point but there was just no precedent in my family that that you might go to art college and make a not a career but just that you could work in in, in the way that i've done yeah and it's interesting though that you you came across ceramics and ended up switching courses you know these days it's a bit tougher because education is expensive and um, I guess people feel like they should know what they want to do but I hear so many times of people starting something and halfway through realizing maybe it's not quite for them and actually they wish they'd done something else and some people are lucky enough to change and others aren't so you know what would you (laughs) say to anyone feeling confused about it yeah I think you're right and I think it was a period of of time where whereby you had you didn't have loans it was grants and um there was a, maybe a little bit more flexibility to, to do that. Not that it happened that much. I don't remember anyone else switching, but I just got to the point where I was feeling like the course, what I wanted to do and what the course was, was offering were just becoming further and further apart. So I just started looking at what those other options would be. And I think, yeah, that was that was a, a critical point. And, yeah, I wonder whether I would have done that 
now but you in the end you're only the product of those particular times aren't you you are still you still see students will switch you know i teach i teach in an art college and there are students who still who, who come to that that similar kind of conclusion and they will they will switch as well so i think there is still that sense of yeah you know whether in in broad terms you're on the right kind of course and you know, I, I think i was pretty clear after i'd done a year that this wasn't what i wanted to pursue so so I switched and I wasn't looking to do ceramics as a specialism. I was looking to do more kind of broad-based 3D course. But sometimes you're not completely in charge, are you, in terms of where yeah. it's just circumstances. Yeah. And, and maybe um, and that, that was certainly part of that. So all the, all the long connection to ceramics always felt a little bit, yeah, it, was, I wasn't direct, it wasn't something I was always choosing. It was just happening. And did the MA make a huge difference was that very useful to you in how you then started working yeah I think it was yeah it was massive it was massive in terms of having having been out for what nine years and and teaching and trying to keep my work going and teaching in a, in a secondary school I just felt like that was the if I, if I didn't didn't do it at that point then maybe it would just it was getting more and more difficult to keep keep the two things going and so I kind of made a decision I want to go back to college and kind of completely focus on my practice again, yeah. and maybe and maybe a relaunch as well. In that I'd you know I'd had eight nine years, and, and this was a chance to kind of rethink what I was doing with this maybe idea with the with the, the electricity connection. I know I was encouraged by my tutor to almost get a strategy for working that that I could apply and really take from that situation and apply into the kind of subsequent works and I think pretty much I, I still that's still what I do yeah. what I was what I was putting in place then I was really encouraged to do almost live works or actual works as opposed to kind of testing for works to to as much as possible just make make work and and, and get it get it out there I think that was really useful it gave me a body of work so by the end I was I was already starting to do works outside of the institution and maybe thinking about ways that I could operate Okay, so there are three sort of main themes to this podcast, which I think we'll probably end up weaving into one another anyway, of creativity and collaboration and craftsmanship. And they're themes that came out of um, the Made in Bath book that we did originally. So kind of looking at creativity first, you started to sort of talk about it a bit then, but are there specific, you, you mentioned strategy, but I guess are there specific processes that you go through when you're creating work? I think it's quite varied how you almost how the, how the work start to come into to be made. But I think I do need a brief in some respects. Often I've, I've worked to either an invitation or a commission or a, an open call. And so often maybe things that have been quite nebulous and a little bit just, just things that you're noticing, they tend to kind of become firmer around around an opportunity that you either create for yourself or is, is something you apply to. So that for me is, is often been the, the kind of the most useful way to kind of find out kind of an outlet for some of the things you're think, thinking about. And once I've got that place, then to a certain extent, it's a kind of trade off against the, the site or the or, or the way that it go out and, and what you were thinking in terms of the concept and the uh, the ideas that you that you're bringing to it. And you know that that's the creative almost processes as you're involved in the commission or in the in the work. I think there's in between that there's often points where it can feel a little bit fallow or a little bit you know you're not quite sure and feel a bit stuck 
I think I think that's often a big part of this quite quite intense action and and, and working live, and then periods where it, it feels quite flat, and um, yeah, it kind of it moves up and down. I think according to those situations yeah does it always ensure a kind of a positive outcome following a process well I, I think sometimes there's, there's ideas that I've had and I haven't necessarily got a you know I've done a work and, and sometimes you continue the process of the work and that yeah I, I did something about a kind of a set I, I cast a set of library books I did a residency um, in North Devon and I made a, a kind of replica set of Encyclopedia Britannica and I really like this idea of this kind of embodied knowledge in in these books that that weren't books they were they were blocks of clay but they had they had the same potential of firing and changing and I thought it almost like brought education and it brought material to, together and, and so I, I did have ideas for like a big a much bigger version which I thought would would, would be an interesting work and that would that that residence was two thousand and two and I had this idea for this much bigger piece and I'd been a couple of opportunities that didn't quite come through and then I think it was 2015 that I was working with um, British Ceramics Biennial and they offered this kind of commission working with a, a, a library in Stoke-on-Trent and that's that's the point that I could realise it and so it, it kind of stayed with me for like 14, 13 years before it, it became a piece of work so there are some pieces that are bank and when the right opportunities or you know you have the right conversation or uh, then then the works can can manifest and um yeah sometimes that's a really long well in that case it was a really long process so there are you know in terms of some works that don't come to fruition you think that maybe they're they're just not going to happen and then a new opportunity arises so i never i never give up on a, a project if i've if i've got a, a an idea but you can't i just can't always do it at the at the time i think so that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because you have some work that needs to be done at great speed and just got out there. You were talking about, you know, in yeah. and other things that take a very long time. How is it working with such extremes? Yeah, I think I think in general it's um, dangerous to kind of completely generalise, but I think often there's quite a long process working up to these works, even if it is in that almost an idea that you don't quite know where it's going to go about. But you put, you're putting plans in place, and that's drawings, and, and you know, for me, it's often drawings, and and, and that can be quite long, and and the build up can be quite long, and and just producing works can can take months, but then the actual switching on or the putting it can be like minutes. So I've quite enjoy the almost the, the fact that that doesn't that seems almost counterintuitive to spend this long and then it be over in seconds. But for me, that that's part of the the attraction really that I would invest that much time for so little <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I even missed it I've missed a couple of pieces because I've been doing you know so I've put, I've put months in and then I've actually missed the thing myself but in a way it's not for you know perhaps that's right that I don't sometimes see see the, the fruition of them do you find sometimes you're surprised the other way and they actually take longer than you think and it's not over as quickly <laughs> I think normally you know the time span of what's gonna what's gonna take place. So sometimes there are exhibitions, and um, I've done some sound systems, and I did one one in in Wales, and that played for like three months, and people could come in and play records through it. And so in a way, you knew that's got something's going to happen like daily or even every twenty minutes. 
So I guess I know that they're going to be much longer players. And the ones that are shorter, you know that perhaps it's an event and it's an hour. And so everything will happen in an hour. So I guess I generally know what the time span, what the kind of life of these works are going to be. The difference sometimes, because they're so on the edge of kind of working or not, that they can that they can break up or break down um, much earlier than maybe I expect in a couple. You know, there's definitely been a few projects where it's supposed to be in place for quite a long period of time and through wiring they've blown up or burnt out and and so they become like they haven't stopped that doesn't mean that the show's over but it, it's almost reached this kind of post event rather than during uh, like a making process it, it then becomes after uh, an after event and so you're seeing the, the residue and the debris rather than necessarily something changing in front of your eyes so for me, the works have always got a pre, a kind of during, and then a post kind of life, and that that's flexible in terms of how you might have a big build-up, a bit like a rocket launcher, waiting and waiting, and then the actual live bit is quite short, and then you might have quite a long after, uh, and, and there's, in a way, all of those variables, just every work has got a variable on that, really. Yeah. So I was going to ask you how important failing is. I guess to a certain extent, they're kind of set up as experiments and they're set up as as something that is on the edge of being able to work or not work so in a way failure is inherent in the in in the works and and so it, it's really important that it's in there i think and I think for me if if works have got to a point where um, maybe i know too much of what's going to happen next that's been quite a big sign to me that maybe that period of work has has come to an end and relating to that library piece and it was you know it was a big work and took a long time and I kind of knew I, I remember with the first switch on and things were happening and obviously it's new to an audience but it wasn't so new to me and I think I have to hold on to the sense that I'm almost learning from these works each time and, and when I when they stop being things on almost learning from or, or just being excited or terrified by, then that, that to a certain extent for me means it's time to move on and, 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 and look at other things. So, yeah, if that stops, that kind of, which is kind of with inherent failure in it, if they become too too known or too, even the failure, if it was too much that it's failure all the time, that can become almost a, a difficulty as well. So it's the predictability, I think, and the uncertainty that I'm attracted to and failure is part of that. and yeah, if that becomes too, if, if I already know where some of these outcomes um, are going to go and what they're going to be, then that for me becomes a, a moment to start looking elsewhere. Mm. Do you feel more pressure because all your work is so publicly done <laughs> so that when things yeah. don't work, it's done in front of an audience? I don't know if I, there is pressure. Yeah. And, and as much as I try and hold on to um, them being experiments and they might work and they might not, there's been a couple of occasions, maybe the work I did with Napalm Death, when um, they were playing with a sound system that I'd made, and there was quite a mixed audience of kind of Napalm Death fans and and um, people that heard about it and, and people maybe from an arts audience. And I really felt a pressure that there was like a, this was a, a moment that had to be explosive, and it, and it wasn't. It was much slower, and, and these, these tile systems were just very gradually falling off and I just I, the feeling of in terms of pressure 
just felt immense. And but I think the audience felt it as well. And and to a certain extent, you know, in all of these things, I step back and I think I become part of the audience as well. I've, sometimes I'm in the works, but pretty much they get switched on, and I'm I'm then as much a participant as anyone else. And I think the what how I was feeling was also how the audience felt and someone then climbed over and just started to kind of kick the work to bits and that was I think he he was probably feeling the same as what I was feeling and um he just did something about it so uh so there is a I think there is a pressure but I think it's something even though it's not always comfortable I'm kind of attracted to and without then without that I'm not sure what the work is without that kind of public and the sense of an event and being there with them and not quite knowing where this thing is going to go and how it's going to end. So, yeah, in a way, if you take that take that pressure away, I'm not sure if you have if you have a work for me anyway. I'm not sure if I ever work anymore. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so subject matter. You know, you've obviously spoken about using clay, about electricity, and that forming a large part yeah. of the beginning of your work. You obviously then start. You've talked about napalm death and other things and sound seems to be something that's started to play into your work a bit more as well yeah there are yeah definitely things as well so I guess I'm just interested to know how how you decide or do you write your own briefs or are you kind of given briefs and how does the themes come into play yeah I don't think I've ever worked to a brief that there's a request for a certain kind of work or that it has to be made in a in a, in a particular medium so I guess that they're always pretty open, but you know the things I've applied for, like Jerwood Open Forest, that was just that. I think the, the the title was the forests are open for for ideas, and so I I had an idea for something that I thought could take place in a forest. So then, you know, this idea of a joyride and a car, almost the way you might read interpretation of what happens in forests with cars, day trips, but also what happens at night and all that kind of switch over. So that would then become the brief for, for me, really. So I guess, yeah, th- at times that you are you are using a, a broad brief of a space or a place or an opportunity. But I do write proposals, and I guess they're they're like the equivalent of a brief because they're they're in a way saying this is what I would do if I got the commission. So it's an indication, not always, but often I, I, I've done that. And there's often a, a kind of grant procedure or some, you know, some there's some often a written element somewhere in there that, that goes out. And I guess that then becomes the broad brief that you then work work within. But sometimes it changes. Sometimes, you know, I've had ideas rejected and then I have to start again. Yeah. The, joy, the Joyride one, yeah, definitely. I pitched it initially and it was the first place that I thought it would work just didn't fit what they, what they felt might be a piece of work for them for them so again I banked it and the Jerwood Open Forest then became the place that it, it could best work so it's a negotiation all these things are really a negotiated dialogue between an institution or a, a commissioner and, and and myself really yeah do you find do you do you get people coming directly to you saying we've seen your work and actually we we want you to do something in our space as well? Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess you know certainly the last four or five years, most of the most of the projects I've done have just to a certain extent come off the back of of other works or sometimes just an on ongoing connection with a, an institution or a place. And so sometimes I've done a work I've just 
most recent work was in Southampton at God's House Tower. And that work came about through a work that I'd done, a really speculative work in 2009, where I set up like a, like a disco where I was playing ceramic records, New Order, Blue Monday, a ceramic copy and, a, and the original copy. And I, I just tried it that night in, in Southampton in this kind of open forum. And the person who saw it that night then got back in touch 10 years later to say, I remember. And I think I gave him the copy of the record. <laughs> so he had my ceramic record. And then, so yeah, you, you, you set up these, you know, not that you always know that things are going to come back and there'll be another opportunity. But when you've had a career that starts to, or, or kind of appear to making and producing for a while, then inevitably you set up connections with people as well as institutions and sometimes those people move around to different places but the connections some of that is just yeah building up those dialogues and those you know, often friendships as well yeah. which um lead to dialogues and work yeah i'm intrigued to know have you got loads of banked ideas that will come to fruition at some point or <laughs> <laughs> does it vary but i did for what i felt like there were there were always like a couple two or three that okay to the the reaction just on what's happening day to day there'd be these kind of things of always oh, it'd be amazing to do that and then and you just you're kind of holding them sometimes and I felt like for a number of years I've had those and you know maybe with a napalm death on because I, I planned to do it at the VNA and then it got cancelled so there's a real sense of you know when when I spoke to the band after it was cancelled we were we were really keen that 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 might happen later if it came up so you know I definitely had things like that banked but at the moment, yeah, I do feel to a certain extent I want to rebuild a little bit. I've, I've kind of come off the back of, what, five or six years where I've almost done, as well as the teaching, like continuous projects, and that's brilliant. But it, I'm almost, well, this situation that we're in is almost forcing that that kind of a little bit of a reappraisal of what you what I'm doing and what might be a public work now and, and what might an audience be. So... I was thinking that this might be a period anyway to kind of almost just go back to the studio and be a little bit more introspective and and just maybe start mulling over, almost almost getting stuck again. I often, often feel like it's through a process of, of feeling a bit stuck and not sure where to go that, that you almost start to, to generate works again. And I felt like that I'm at that period, but then with lockdown and this whole new scenario anyway, it's kind of magnified it to the nth degree (laughs) i think there's many people (laughs) taking time to reflect and uh yeah yeah i mean i'm missing that i'm definitely missing the studio because something about you know we're we're in a house together family and i feel like i'm increasingly missing that space to go to and it's not because i want to make necessarily but i just was just to go to that place and, and maybe not do much but just to go to it just to go to another space and just and have no agenda actually to have no agenda and you know you always find something to do when I'm at home and um, it's quite difficult to, to actually do nothing um, I, I think whereas the studio in a way it's it's, it's a kind of more neutral space and uh, uh, I kind of feel like it's only when I go back there that things will really start to I don't know if they will happen but I'm just giving myself kind of like a a physical, a physical space to go and just see yeah uh, when you're in that space are you in that space on your own is it a solitary thing or there's other people there's other artists within the space? yeah it's a bit of both it's a bit of both well, yeah the cast 
Cast Studios, which um, is about, it's kind of half gallery and half studio. So it's about seven or eight studio holders. Some are a little bit more rolling. We have residency program and kind of recent graduates. Um, so there's kind of a, a turnover, but then there's about, I'd say about seven artists who are, who are there on a kind of, we have a kind of rolling one-year contract. And so there, we've all got individual studios. So you can go into those spaces and you're pretty much cut off. But then there's communal areas. And I think then, in a way, you've got a choice. And when you want a conversation, it's it's there to have in the kitchen and communal area. But if not, you shut the door, you pretty much, you, it's, it's just you in the space. So it's it's a bit of both. And I think at times, yeah, you dialogue and it's really useful to have that kind of interaction. And other times, it's, it's just to, to give you maybe a, a, in the evenings or even early mornings, they're quieter spaces as well. So you can pick and choose really when, if you want that interaction or not. I was going to ask you about risk taking and we've kind of talked about it a bit already because it strikes me that a lot of the work that you do includes quite a lot of risk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is it important to your work? I'm not sure if I put it as an agenda in terms of risk. I think it's tied up with failure maybe. I mean, in some senses, there's quite a risk in that there, you know, you've got live electricity often in the works and and therefore, you know, they can be quite dangerous. So there's the kind of physical risk and, you know, I've used explosions and blown up drum kits and stuff and that's got a risk element. And again, that becomes then a dialogue with the, with the institution often in terms of what, not that it has to be curtailed or reduced, but just you can have a conversation to allow it to happen but still not have that element where you know anyone's going to be injured but at the same time recognizing that is a part of the work that there is almost like a, a danger within it and it is live electricity or it is an explosion therefore take that away and you, again you you've lost a vital component of the work so it's it's a recognition of it and a recognition that you have to work with institutions to to allow these things to happen so I always quite enjoy it, actually. I enjoy the, the dialogue that that sets up. So, you know, I ne- never feel particularly that it's about a demand. It's always about, well, this would be amazing if we could make this happen in a way. Try and get people as excited about it as, as you are. And if that starts to happen, and it sometimes comes from quite unlikely places, then the work starts to be kind of owned by more than more than just myself. And then then I feel it gets a momentum that, you know, there's a number of people involved who, who want, you know, I think in the end, in terms of the creative side, I, I try to make things happen and it, and it involves people and publics, but also people who, who kind of come with me because they're, they're also similarly invested and excited, intrigued by what might happen as well. And if that, that starts to happen, it's brilliant because we're all kind of working towards it. Yeah, yeah. So I was listening to someone recently, it was a, a podcast or something, a TED Talk, and, and in it they were talking about the importance of getting bored and that leading to creativity or that when yeah. you don't allow yourself the time to just stop and do little or yeah. get bored or, or create some space in your life, we're less creative. But when we do allow that to happen, and sometimes it's not necessarily intentional, like now, how important is it for you to get bored or how important is it for you to just allow yourself time? I guess when you're going back to your studio, you know, that's a space yeah. where you have to... Like you say, sometimes you'll do some stuff and sometimes you could do very little, but actually it's you're yeah. in a space that allows creativity to start to percolate. So, Yeah, and it, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not often that I feel like 
I put almost a label of, oh, I'm being real, really creative. I think sometimes it comes, it almost comes out of the opposite. And that I think it is a big part of, and maybe it's the antidote or the, the kind of the other side of maybe these action things and things having that kind of instantaneous excitement that there's often can come out of boredom and maybe even some of the aspects of the work can be quite boring as well in that not much can happen perhaps in the end and it might be much longer than it needs to be so I think you can even push that in in work itself but I think yeah a lot of a number of works have come out of almost that I don't know if I'd ever say yeah it's interesting boredom you know I don't often say oh, I'm bored but I get stuck and you know, I remember particularly one period where I just didn't know what to do next and I think we're working with I think we're starting to work around the idea of this project called ecstatic material kind of and it was going to be a sound system but I didn't know much more than that and actually just it was a period where I just wasn't sure where to go next and I felt rather than being ecstatic I actually felt static and and quite not sure where to go next and so literally I just interpreted that as almost like static on a screen and maybe with the electrical kind of connection and you can't get TVs with static on them anymore, but you can get YouTube clips of static off TVs. So you get this weird scenario where you've got a TV screen on a computer screen. And I just started drawing it just because I didn't know what, I couldn't think of anything else to do. So I started drawing all the marks. And I, there is, there's a kind of myth that it's, what you'll get in there is this big bang kind of echo on, on the screen. And I kind of like that, that you've got this, this static image. And so out of being bored maybe or st- certainly stuck i started then drawing static which reflected that and then the whole project came out of those drawings really and it became a backdrop for works and so you know in terms of in broad terms that bo- they can they can really be the kind of for me in that particular instance it, it was absolutely vital but it wasn't very pleasurable <laughs> as much as you might say yeah i can embrace boredom and being bored it doesn't feel a very good place to be in in a way sometimes I'm just buying going to the studio or it's just buying space and it's okay that you might waste time as well or even that you know everything can feel like you've got to be not profitable in terms of making money out of that but just that you have to make the best use of your time all, all, all the time and I think sometimes that the studio is just carving out a bit of space where, yeah, maybe you just often, if I come back at the end of the day and somebody asks me out of the studio, I'm not sure there's many times where I've gone, yeah, it's been great. I think most times it's like, feels a bit of a struggle. <laughs> you know, and I think I always feel guilty for saying it, but then there are moments where, yeah, things start to kind of pick up and, you know, you get, you get the, the opposite extreme, but maybe you need both. Maybe you need these periods where, yeah, not much is happening. To, to really to give you the other end of it where where, where a lot's happening and, yeah. you, and you're getting a, a number of ideas I think we're feeling the same way that getting stuck is uncomfortable and it's interesting because sometimes I think you know in this in our studio we can end up just being caught up completely in client work and and actually you can come across a problem that you get stuck on and actually sometimes taking a very long walk home <laughs> instead of driving and just yeah. walking along a canal and just thinking through that problem without any exterior stuff, allowing yourself yeah. a bit of space to just yeah. mull instead of force yeah. something yeah. with distractions. And, you know, you, you can be yeah. undistracted on a walk or something yeah. like that that's 
beneficial yeah. i think to creativity sometimes. slightly yeah it's kind of as if it's slightly out of your main point of focus so it's it's just happening at the periphery and it's just maybe just doing activities that sometimes just allow that slightly more peripheral thinking yes to just to just have chance to, to have have a voice whereas generally they're crowded out maybe because of all the centrality but there's other times where you almost need there's those quieter periods and those where, where not so much is happening and then having a having a meeting coming up or having having a deadline coming up you know I often I feel like I often do need a deadline and um, something specific to work to because that just forces you sometimes out of that and sometimes you crave a period where it is a little bit quieter but after a certain amount of quiet you need almost like the other the, the opposite and you need you need something doing tomorrow and you just have to solve it because someone's someone needs it and um, I think that can be quite useful as well yeah. for me I'm intrigued to know about how your ideas are generated and are you constantly mulling things over in your mind? Are you constantly, is your mind whirring? Where do you seek inspiration and who inspires you? If, if I look back over, you know, what's 20 years now, you feel, God, that's quite a range of works that I've done, but it, it feels like that's that's 20 years of opportunities in different ways that I've either created or reacted to. So it's often, I do feel in a way like it is, it is a bit not, brief as in that I've produced it but I often respond to situations and but not all the time and I don't think I go to the studio for instance necessarily and it was all the time there sometimes it can be just quite basic and, and just needing a bit of space or I mean it's it is often things I've come across either going to or from the studio and it just maybe it just puts you in a kind of slightly receptive state of mind and maybe and, and maybe it's just that reset receptivity sometimes that that is the trigger because perhaps i know there's something i'm applying to or there's an opportunity that's coming up and it just it just raises the raises the level almost the level of alert and, and maybe that's as significant as perhaps yeah the you know constant worrying in some ways i think because I've, I've always taught as well i think that's always been a, another kind of interesting almost parallel activity and, and you're often kind of firing off ideas quite rapidly in in, in tutorials and, and and discussing work with students and there I think you you're much more kind of almost like a precipitator of, of ideas and, and interpretation so I think you know you're doing that daily as well so I think my own practice then yeah it, it it's not as kind of switched on and, and switched off in terms of where ideas come I think it can be any number it's sometimes a conversation sometimes it's a an opportunity that I see, something that I come across. You know, just at the moment, you, probably we're all the same, but that kind of awareness of birdsong and ambulance noises and mixture of, of these two sounds, you know, is really, is really, now I don't, I don't know if that's a piece of work and maybe it's too obvious or whether there's an equivalent for something like that uh, of those two extremes that are happening um, at the same time. But I don't know how creative... I produce works, but yeah, it's it's interesting when it comes down to kind of terminology like creativity. I I I wonder how much I fit a bill, but I don't know what the definition is anyway. Really, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you do fit the bill <laughs> a bit, but you're modest. So moving on from creativity a bit into sort of collaboration. For us as an agency, it's really important because it allows us to sort of specialize in one area of work but work with other people with other specialisms and to come together to sort of solve problems together that we think is really important and I guess you know you collaborate in a number of ways because you collaborate with with galleries and with um, the people that are actually 
um, doing work for, but then also alongside that with other artists or you know, people like Napalm Death or, you know, musicians, whatever. But also you're also collaborating with students. And so I guess how important is collaboration to you and to your work? It's always been there. Certainly, certainly a kind of period from Royal College on almost every project has, has involved Maybe, maybe a lot, you know, you, you would say that that would be the same for almost everyone producing work. That to a certain extent, it requires a collabor a collaboration. But unless you're a completely sole operator in a in a, in a studio, and then you, you you put the work out at the end. But I think certainly in the in the realm of like performance and events and installation, yeah. you're always working with with others. And I think maybe not change, but as 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 that has continued. I've almost wanted to acknowledge that more and more in, in works. And so certainly in terms of the sound pieces, you know, because I'm not a musician at all. I'm not an electrician, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm certainly not a, a musician. So if I wanted sound, and that was thinking about maybe a, another way that electrical energy is, is kind of manifest through through sound. And so therefore what would sound start to do with material? That's how some of those collaborations started. But increasingly kind of recognize that to get a music input i would have to work with someone who had kind of musical not knowledge but just maybe came from that came from that field and and, and similarly like the electricity we would kind of meet in the in the middle yeah it's fundamental to the work and what i'm doing perhaps more and more recently is is kind of um almost going out as a collaboration with Beatrice Dillon that we did we did ecstatic material with or Preston Field audio whereby it was a soundtrack for the movement of buses at a Preston bus station so so it's it's, it's kind of acknowledging and recognizing that that collaborative process is, is 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 important and becomes part of the part of the work really but also part of how it's credited as well do you collaborate from the very start or do you tend to bring people in part way through because of the skills that they've got? I think that's interesting because, you know, collaboration almost sounds, it indicates like an equal equal input on an equal stage. And in some projects, like the Napalm Death one, it was an invitation really almost to ask them to come in to play through this system that I created. So they wouldn't necessarily have been in any way part of the early part of the project and, and really by the time I'd kind of formulate it as a as an idea almost the last part was to get Napalm Death to come and do it so there is there's definitely a collaboration in terms of working together but not necessarily on a, on a completely parallel from beginning to end scenario they they they, they, they completed the work I think in, in that in that particular instance the project with Beatrice Dylan. I think that was much more kind of dialogue from the start. That was much more came out of a, a series of meetings and, and conversations and exchanging thoughts, images, sound pieces. And, and then the work almost worked out between us. And I think maybe in some respects that was the most collaborative in the sense of from the beginning to, to an end and bringing those different parts to the work. And does that increase the creativity of the work or does it, does it just change it? I think, in some respect, it gives a it gives a kind of a 
a focus to it. So we'd have meetings and we'd just kick ideas around. And I found those really, I'd come out of those and just be, yeah, you, you would be really buzzing in terms of what the options were. And so, yeah, I think that that did change it in a way that maybe there's, there's a bit more, maybe felt like there's a bit more agony involved sometimes in when, you, when you're solely, solely at the centre of it. I think it's really useful to have those moments where you can just bounce things off and I can get excited about works for myself and then try to make them, you know, make them happen. But then when you've got a group and you're all kind of invested in it, I think that's quite the, the dynamism and the energy that comes out of that. I think that that's almost slightly outside of yourself as well then. It's kind of got a life of its or momentum or an energy of it of its own. How, how easy is it to kind of relinquish control, I suppose, and kind of work with a group of people? Or is there, so much, is there such a thing as too many people involved? And, you know, it's the dynamics of it. I guess you've got to get the right people. I think it is a balance. It's always about, and to a certain extent, yeah, when, in a way, even though I've always collaborated with people in, in, in all projects, to a certain extent, it's gone out with, with my name on it. So to a, to a certain extent, that the final word or that I have, so I, in the end, I have main responsibility for it. So I guess that, that gives it back to you in terms of the control because ultimately it's going out as the thing that you're producing. When it's a collaboration, then, yeah, I think, um, or when both names are going out, then to a certain extent, it's, yeah, it's, it's not relinquishing a control, but then it's just a recognition that two equal parties are, are involved in this and it's got to work on both their ends and maybe become something that's slightly different than, than what you might, might both normally do. You, you're somewhere in between. And it, I think that hasn't necessarily felt like lost relinquishing control is just recognizing it might it, 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 it will inevitably take you to somewhere different and that's quite interesting maybe some people might find that quite difficult but um i, I can't even enjoy it um okay so moving on to the third bit of craftsmanship which that comes from honing and refining and practicing your work and what was interesting when i spoke to you before we started this last week was that you said you didn't consider yourself a maker but instead you describe yourself as making things happen, which I thought was really interesting. So what, what do you mean by this? Well, I think that is a form of making, that an event is, is, is a form of making, but I guess there's always material involved in any of these events that I've done. So there is, there's making in terms of, yeah, making, making something happen. And that's about dialogue and all the things we're talking about in collaboration. But then there is the kind of physical side of things as well. And, in nearly all the, all the projects, whether I'm making drawings or, or or making objects within these these events, there is making as well in terms of the physical physical objects and physical materials. So I think primarily I'm trying to make things happen, and by making things happen, other things are made, and sometimes I'm I'm making them, but not always. And how important, you know, your works are kind of. The, the sort of live shows and um, and obviously things get fired and things get smashed up and things bubble and break and do all sorts of things. How important is quality in your work? Which I don't mean to sound awful, but what I mean is that things get destroyed quite a lot in your works. So yeah. How important is yeah. quality from the very beginning and what part does it play? Yeah, well perhaps not the person to judge on the quality ultimately but what I do think is perhaps important that it it all almost should be heartbreaking that these that something might break up as opposed to it must not having that investment in it so 
think it almost needs that level of of almost what a shame that that has gone um as opposed to because it's going to go then therefore maybe it's a little bit um half-hearted i think you kind of fully invest in the making that making the work you want it to be just that it's not perhaps going to go beyond that moment but yeah thinking of the calf and just took it took months to make it and to, to get all the, the components and then i worked on it with anthony tovey who's a former um, model maker car car model maker with the knowledge that we were we were going to release it down this ramp ultimately and so the car was completely ceramic yeah uh, clay it was it was a yes. wooden structure and then over a number of weeks we uh, dug all the clay was kind of from the area we we then made this full-size rover i kind of wondered how how he was gonna feel about that and but he said that in in his industry the car model making they would destroy the models anyway. They were things that weren't ever meant to last beyond the prototyping stage. And, you know, they're beautiful things. And, you know, to watch him every day and the kind of skills that he had, there were a lot, obviously a lot of connections with kind of ceramics um, techniques and processes. But it almost became part and parcel of it. And But what was interesting, we'd done half the car. And from, from, from the perspective of a model maker, if you can see half the car, you can see the whole car because – it's only mirrored. I remember saying, well, it's kind of done now. And I just remember thinking, no, this has definitely got to be a full car that's that's completed. Anthony was amazing. He was doing all this work just out of his own interest, really. So I'm never in a position where I would go, no, Anthony, we've got to finish this. So I just took it upon myself that I'd just have to put in the extra time to fill the rest so that so that we would have a complete car. So if, that, if that's a kind of measure of... Um, importance of quality yeah for me there's there's certain things that have got to be in place that make it to bring that kind of if there is a destruction or an end to it that, that that's even more kind of sharply brought into focus because yeah it's a complete thing and there and then it'll be incomplete if it goes off the ramp incomplete then it just wasn't feeling right in my head in terms of what that work was about and i could see it would that would make it a lot more doable and practical and but again, I just knew that it's got to be a full-size car. Just you know, you just feel like there's certain things that you, that are key, and and those those two elements. So, you know, we've all got our own interpretation of what quality, or what, but those are really important things to me that made were a big part of that project. So, I think in in our own ways, we all have those quality or certain important parts of what the what the works are about. Yeah. And I guess leading on from that, then, how important is perfection or imperfection? I think perfection for me can get wrapped up a little bit with knowing how things are going to turn out. And I think that therefore gets tied in with what I was saying earlier a bit about once once I start, if I start to know too much how things were going to and it was getting too good, maybe even at something, then that might be a time to, to shift or feel that maybe, not shift, but maybe feel that that body of work or that approach has reached a bit of a conclusion I, do, I don't feel like i've reached perfection but I, I do feel sometimes that yeah there's a level of maybe control or, or knowledge of what might happen next that becomes a bit of an indicator of okay i want, I want to explore something else and, uh, and i want to get back to that that sense of almost the inquiry and the experiment and being the most important part of it as opposed to necessarily reaching a level of you know it being a, a perfect I don't know actually because like we we really put a lot of time into that launch to make sure we had a ten meter launch. So 
and there's a lot of drawing. So sometimes, yeah, you really want that level of precision. Yeah. I don't know if that's the same as perfection necessarily. Yeah. It's not, I don't know. But for me, like, there's some precise elements in the work and then there's the completely imprecise and unpredictable. And I think they have to, you know, they're, they're working off each other. And with a piece of work like that, at the end, does it stay there as, you know, how long did, was that a one-off event or did it stay there in its end form well we had a couple of weeks to build it we had the event itself and i think in retrospect the only aspect i would change about the project was that once the car was launched it hit the barriers at the end these concrete barriers and, and kind of smashed up there were some shots that we took right at the end where um it was just on its own and i i think the work would have benefited if we'd have just left that that car as it was in place for maybe the rest of the weekend, because that's how you find these cars after the joyriding event. They're often burnt out and they just left. And I think that would have brought that aspect back into it. So yeah, I think sometimes it's circumstances and there, but for me that that work could have stayed there for quite a period of time, almost just breaking down and being like a carcass of, of what it had been. All the clay was already starting to drop off because it was wet and it would have, to a certain extent, just returned to the to the soil as well. So I think we could have had a work there, definitely, that could have extended for another almost a week and just passed us by with no explanation. It would just be there and it would be the uncertainty of why it's even there because that's how the project started was when I came across a car that had been that tried to escape in an underpass in, in Plymouth and hit a barrier and exploded. And So it would have brought it full circle. So, uh, yeah, that might have been the perfect end in a way. Yeah. And when you're working on a project, you know, there's different sorts of elements to it and you're, you are making things in the beginning or you're drawing and then you're kind of creating and with that, for example, you're actually physically helping to make the car and then mm. there's the performance. Which sort of stage of that is your kind of favourite bit of it? I guess the draw, I've always felt the drawing is the bit where you've got most opportunity and do feel like within, within, a, within a sheet of paper you create this kind of um, arena and therefore yeah there can be any size and it can be <laughs> the level of opportunity there is you, you're only limited by what you can put down on the piece of paper not by the practicalities and so I, I kind of really enjoy that but at the same time it, it is always with the knowledge that you're trying to get this work to be made and to become an event of some kind so sometimes I've shown works and drawings in their own right but they've nearly always been done with another kind of means to them i haven't done drawings only for their own own sake so they kind of have to have a purpose almost a functionality so i, I really enjoy that i think there is definitely moments of joy with the with, with the events and stuff but they're wrapped up in in things that are, you know are, are really um quite a challenge physically and and time-wise and financially so they come with like real like equal and opposite challenges as much as the the relief sometimes of, of actually getting it done so i'm not sure it's euphoric necessarily but it's definitely sometimes just a relief that i've got it to that point and then there's all the kind of anxiety and, and nervousness of the of the event itself so they make you feel alive and, and maybe that's the end but they're, they're kind of wrapped up in a lot of tension and and anxiety as well but that's that's feeling alive i think and uh, without it i feel uh, you know things can feel flat um, okay, and lastly, have you got any plans for the future? Is there any exciting projects in the in the offing, or anything you're aspiring to do in the future? It's an uncertain future at the moment, so 
it, it is a moment, I think, for a little bit taking stock and thinking what I'd like to do next. Kind of off the back of the um, Preston Bus Station Project Conductor, that was quite a specific project around the 50th anniversary of Preston Bus Station with this, this beautiful, brutalist work. And I've just got this idea that if I could, I'd like to almost take that that approach to working with buses and bus stations on tour and a little bit like Bob Dylan's Rolling Thunder review that he just set out on the bus and played all these different places and just appeared for a day and there'd be posters that produce. So almost taking like a, a, a group of people in this bus and we'd go, particularly, I'd love to do like Eastern Europe, all these post-Soviet, brutal, modernist bus stations and work with the, almost the buses, work with the material in these bus stations and we'd go from place to place and we'd do these sequence movements and it'd be quite a bit flash mob in some respects and that we'd just arrive and then configure the buses and then we move on and could, people could come with us on the bus or could just join for those events. So, and I've started to have conversations with people and generally it's like, that's going to be impossible. Mm-hmm. So in a way... It's kind of no different to any other project. you want to do it more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to be told okay, I can't do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know whether that one, you know, in terms of what this situation now means to how, how events might now be done, but there's no there's no one backing that. It's a dream as opposed to a, a work that I've... But at the moment, I'm just dreaming about stuff rather than kind of doing stuff. That's good, though. That's a great dream. Bus tour of Eastern Europe sounds amazing. Yeah, and I think it's just that, okay for anyone that gets you know similarly excited about it. That's how that's how we might make it happen. That enough people go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm up for that, and yeah. you know, get a film crew and get get enough people who, who kind of want to do it, and we'll we'll go and do it, and we'll just watch all these buses quite balletically move for just these periods of time, and they'll just be kind of quite short interruptions, really, and then we'll shift and move, and and I think there'll be something in how that could be built up and recorded you know it took a lot of work to get a bus station to allow 32 buses to move and, and all the traffic that had to be redirected so you know it's a massive logistical maneuver so how how feasible or not but you know if, in terms of dreams and just thinking oh that could be great then that's that's what i'd love and i could learn how to drive a bus <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant all right well thank you ever so much well thanks anna Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and it inspires you to make or create something of your own. Be sure to click on the subscribe button so you don't miss a conversation. If you'd like to know more about our Makers Project, check out our website, madeinbath.co.uk. Or if you'd like to know more about our design work, go to Mitton Williams, M-Y-T-T-O-N Williams.co.uk. See you next time.